0: How are you guys doing this morning? It's good to see you in mid-July in Sarasota. It's so cold outside, isn't it? My goodness. Um, A couple of things I want to let you guys know about. Next week, I will be here, but I'm taking a week off from preaching. That doesn't mean you should stay home. Dr. David Sutton, who's an excellent speaker, he's in town, he's really important in the recovery community in our city, he's going to be preaching here next week. He's excited about the opportunity to encourage our church with the unique ministry that we have. So Dr. David Sutton next week. Also, for those, does anyone here speak Portuguese? Raise your hand. <laughs> Dylan speaks Portuguese. Um, tonight, remember we've talked about God having an open door to heaven on Lockwood Ridge. And last week we talked about the myriads and myriads, ten thousands upon ten thousands who worship at the throne. Well, Grace Life is partnering with a Brazilian National Church who has not had a place to meet for several months. We've been there, haven't we? And I'm just so excited. I'm going to be here with Mike and Amy Dennis is going to be here. Um, I have to be here because I am the only person who speaks Portuguese in the church, so I have to be here for that. (laughs) But we're going to allow them to use our facility for them to have worship as a church, and I'm just excited about how that fits into our vision. Isn't that awesome stuff? So that's tonight at six. They have awesome, awesome appetizers, by the way. (laughs) Okay. Let's start with our uh, message this week. This is week number 15. We're starting chapter 6 in the book of Revelation. This is the four horsemen of human history. You know, I hear many people these days say that we live in crazy times. COVID, China, inflation, Russia and Ukraine, gas prices, Roe v. Wade, etc. Just wild stuff. But is it really all that crazy? Are these times that we live in really that much different than all the rest of human history? I say it's not even close. I think many people suffer from what I like to call apocalyptic narcissism thinking that we are enduring such unique things at this point in history as a nation and as a world and as a human race, like today is so unusual and so special. I will tell you, previous generations have endured much crazier times, far crazier than our times. You know, for 6,000 years of recorded human history, there's been this thirst that humans have had for political, economic, cultural or military conquest, which causes tremendous pain and suffering and death throughout the world. Just in the last 800 years in Europe, there was the War of the Roses. There was the Hundred Years' War, the Napoleonic Wars, and the French and Indian War, which was actually, if you really think about it, the first real world war. And then from an American perspective, we've had the Civil War. You don't think those people thought that was crazy times? Then we had World War I. Boy, that was nuts. And then a few years later, World War II. Will it ever end? Then we had the Cold War. We could all be blown away. Then Vietnam, then Korea, then Afghanistan, and Iraq. See, human thirst for conquest has subjected not only humanity, but all of creation to conflict, famine, disease, economic ruin, and death. So the question is, how do we reconcile this command to live by faith as part of the kingdom of heaven when the world we live in is so full of stuff like this? How can we be expected to place hope in the one who has opened the scroll of the plan of redemption when humanity is permitted to act this way? Which leads us to our passage for this week, Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Now, I watched as the land opened one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, Come! You like how I said that? Come! With the echo. It's like that. (laughs) I looked and behold a white horse. Its rider had a bow. A crown was given to him. He came out conquering and to conquer. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! Come! And out, of, and out came another horse, this one bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. And when he opened the third, and by the way, he is the Lamb of God, Jesus. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. I looked and behold, a black horse. Its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the living creature saying, a quart of wheat? For a denarius, or three quarts of barley for a denarius, but do not harm harm the oil and wine. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. Its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. They were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with sword, famine, pestilence, and by the wild beasts of the earth." There's some really interesting history here with these scary horses, <laughs> you know, I was thinking through this, you know, these are, by the way, there are seven seals, if you remember correctly, and Jesus is opening them up one at a time. This is just the first four. And many of these first four seals, many see them as future prophecy, stuff that is yet to come. And they, they try to cap, uh, capsulize them all in what they call this seven years of tribulation, That is a flawed interpretation of these horsemen. Seeing them that way as just a future thing that's supposed to only take three and a half years or something like that. Seeing them that way robs the followers of Jesus of the ability to fully understand why the world is the way it is. You know, the prophet Zechariah saw these same horses in chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. He saw these same four chariots with the riders and the horses, the same colors as John's, red, black, white, and pale. Look what happens in Zechariah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Again, I lifted my eyes and I saw, and behold, four chariots came out from between two mountains. The mountains were made of bronze. That always symbolizes countries, nations, when you see the word bronze. The first chariot had a red horse. The second had black horses. The third white horses, and the fourth chariot dappled, or pale horses. All of them were strong. And these are clearly mean horses, (laughs) you know. I mean, Zechariah describes these chariots as winds from heaven, meaning they were sent by God, by the Spirit of God from heaven. They are strong. They are eager. These four horsemen are chomping at the bit to patrol the earth and carry out their assigned judgment tasks. Look what he says in verse 7. He says, when the strong horses came out, they were impatient to go patrol the earth. And he said, go patrol the earth. So, they patrolled the earth. Why are these horsemen so eager? Are they bloodthirsty? Do they just love wreaking havoc? Do they just love judgment? I mean, and how do we reconcile if these Horsemen are sent from heaven how do we reconcile a God of mercy and love and grace with heaven sending four eager angry mean horsemen of judgment I'll tell you why they're eager because they're carrying out God's judgment on the enemies of God's people he's sent them to preserve God's people from darkness more on this beautiful truth later but as we see, these horses are not something to be seen as yet to come. They are already. Zechariah 6, verse 8 gives some de- de- um, details of what happens in Zechariah 6. This is probably about 500 B.C. Then he cried to me, Behold, those who go out to the north, the horsemen, go, those who go out to the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country. Written about 550 B.C. It's a description of how God has judged Israel's enemies. At this time, it would have been the Babylonians. And some of you may have heard this thing called the Babylonian captivity. This is what Israel was in. They were kept out of their land. They couldn't go into the land of Israel, and they were held as slaves in Babylon. Zechariah only sees the direction that the black and the white horse and the pale horses go. And there's not much detail as to the result other than this. We know from history what happened. From the north, the Babylonian Empire was attacked. The Persians conquered them. And you know what the Persians allowed the Jews to do? To return to Israel. And begin building the second temple. So we know that these horsemen had been patrolling the earth all along. Long before John wrote about them. And they were doing God's work. Using other nations and other countries to protect God's people to advance his kingdom. But what exactly are these horses? Horses. This is the spiritual section that we're looking at today. I'm calling this horsemen of judgment. You know, John's vision matches this one in Zechariah. But as with the other visions we've seen in our study, right? This one gives much greater detail. John always goes into more detail. He describes them as a result of Jesus opening the scroll slowly in his timing to execute what's written in the scroll, which is... God's plan of redemption. And we see this white horse. You know, kings and emperors frequently rode into battle on a white horse, projecting themselves as champions of peace. They saw themselves as chosen ones, or if you allow me, messiahs. That's what messiah means, anointed or chosen one. They saw themselves as messiahs with wisdom and power to set things right in the world. And if they can bring conquest, they will bring also lasting peace and justice. See, this is part of judgment for sin. Man seeking conquest. This unquenchable thirst to, to win culturally, politically, legally, economically, militarily. This is the white horse. This is what it represents man's unquenchable thirst. For conquest. Then there's this red horse. The red horse is the inevitable result of that white horse, that spirit of conquest, that thirst for conquest that drives all earthly conflicts in human history. Since the fall of Adam and Eve, man has risen against man. For example, what's the first example you can think of? Cain and Abel. Nation has been rising against nation. And the image of red is no doubt unmistakable. It is the blood of war. That always accompanies this thirst for conquest. Then there's the black horse. The black horse brings famine, destruction, suffering, the inevitable results of nation rising against nation in war. And John describes the black horse as food shortages, massive inflation, and exploitation of the ones who have been conquered. He says the price for wheat, for one meal of wheat, that's a quart of wheat. The price for one quart of wheat or three meals of barley is inflated to a full day's wages of a Roman soldier. It's massive inflation. And you know what makes it worse? Barley, you could get like three meals of barley, right? The problem is barley was reserved for livestock. And it becomes the only alternative for a family trying to eat cheaper. And it is not pleasant to eat. John is describing the masses not having enough money and having to choose between one meal for humans or three meals of animal kibble. It's bad. Historically, here's what we know. This type of thing always happens in every country that fights wars. Governments print money to fund their industrial military complex It deflates the value of the dollar, and then sources become rare, and inflation goes through the roof. See, war always disrupts production. Supply chain, we've seen that, haven't we, today? We see it today with oil. And then the conquerors always get to control the distribution of those things that become scarce. And John's readers, actually in Asia Minor, understood this because they had to import all their wheat from Caesar. They couldn't grow it in their area. But what about this thing he says, don't touch the oil and the wine, or what does that mean? This is the exploitation of those who've been conquered, and readers in Asia Minor would also understand this. They were major providers in this region of oil and wine to the rest of the empire, and Rome orders them to not mess with the oil and wine supplies. We are going to inflate the prices of wheat and barley, but you will not turn around and inflate the prices of oil and wine. In fact, when we say so, you will give them to us for free because we are the conquerors. Every earthly government does this, promises peace and prosperity through political, cultural, economic, or military conquest. And when those promises ultimately fail, and they will, people suffer. You know what they do then? They look to the next promising white horse. It says, we will bring conquest and peace and justice. And the cycle starts all over again. And then we come to the pale horse. The fourth seal is that pale horse, the rider. This one has a proper name. He's called Death and Hades. Death and Hades really means the grave. The Greek word for pale is actually like the pale green color of rotting flesh. Yes, it's a decaying body, and I know it's graphic, but it is on purpose. This writer has given power to kill one-fourth of the world's population. It's not an exact number, so don't get into, well, 25. It's not that. It's a description of the consequences of man's thirst for conquest. It's the cycle of all human history. Conquest, followed by war, then suffering, and inequity, and exploitation, and then disease, and then death. These horsemen of John and Zechariah are really, if you'll allow me to explain it to you this way, they really are a summary, a bird's eye view of the whole cycle of all recorded human history. It goes back to Cain and Abel. And these horsemen have been running around ever since then. We saw Jesus describe this repeated cycle to his disciples to look for as a sign of when the times of the end would be near. He says in Matthew chapter 24... Verses 4 through 8. Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ or I am Messiah. I am chosen. I am the one on the white horse. Those who believe they are chosen and special, making promises to bring peace and prosperity to this world through conquest. crown, and a white horse. These are the Antichrists. It says they will lead many astray. You will hear wars and rumors of wars. See, you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Doesn't that sound like the four horsemen? All these are but the beginnings of the birth pains. These four horsemen are judgment of the enemies. And what are they here to do? To weed out darkness and advance the plan of redemption. Yes, some followers of Jesus do suffer and die because of these horsemen. We will discuss that in more detail the next time I preach on this. But this is not a spiritual death that they suffer. Why are these horses so eager? They aren't bloodthirsty. They are eager for the plan of redemption, of God's chosen to unfold. It's the same reason they were eager in Zechariah, because they wanted to set Israel free. The judgment of the enemies of God's people and the advancement of God's kingdom. And you know what's interesting? We assume that we know what an advancing kingdom of God looks like, but it's not always what it seems to be. How do we know what the wars that have taken place in human history, how do we know how they fit in God's plan? But we know this, they come from these four horsemen. These horsemen don't always follow in perfect order. It's not always the white, then the red, then the black. It's sometimes is the black horse comes first as they prepare for the white or the red. But here's what happens. They are all acts of judgment, systems of judgment that are advancing God's kingdom and they feed off one another. This explains how God's plan for his kingdom overlaps with the kingdoms of this world. It's the ordained plan of redemption that is written in the scroll that the lamb is holding in his hand and he's opening seal by seal. It is, in fact, judgment. So what do we do with all this? What is the personal section? I've just called it this week. Keep your hope in Jesus. This was the sermon preview this week. Every dictator, president, prime minister and earthly government breaks its promises. Only the lamb who has opened the scroll is worthy of our hope. You know, any student of history can see how often men on white horses ride in with promises they cannot keep. We see it every four years here, every two years here. Any student of history can see how often red horses ride in, leading to the black horse, which leads to the pale horse. Yes, today's headlines are full of all four horsemen. Today's tragic headlines aren't unique. They are just like all the rest of the headlines in human history. Since the fall of man, this world has only seen moments of false peace between these patrolling four horsemen. Yet somehow... As clear as this may seem, even God's chosen are tempted to put our hope in a leader or a nation or an economic system that could somehow bring peace and utopia. What Jesus says in Matthew 24, which, by the way, informs a lot of this, this Olivet Discourse. For false Christs and false prophets will arise, people on white horses, and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray if possible, even the chosen or even the elect. Man, if we could just get the right president, the right economic policy, the right morality, that will break this cycle and bring peace and prosperity. We just got to win, that's all. If we could just get America to be, insert your own personal, social, economic, political, cultural, more utopia opinion here. <laughs> Obama will change everything. Trump will set him straight. Now we got to get rid of Trump. Now we got to get rid of Biden. If someone would just take Putin out. If we could just put China in its place. Church, none of that will stop the four horsemen. After 7,000 years of recorded human history, you would think we would learn, right? The sad thing is only those who have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches can understand these four horsemen. This cycle of human history, these four horsemen have been patrolling the earth ever since man needed redemption. Don't think of judgment as punishment. Judgment is separation. It's described by John the Baptist and then later Jesus. First of all, this is what Paul meant when he said this in Romans chapter. Go back. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from all heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. A lot of translations say, for the wrath of God is being revealed. These four horsemen are part of our Jesus executing his plan of redemption written on the scroll since Adam's fall. It's a repeated cycle of judgment over and over as he plants his seeds of wheat and then evil comes in and tries to plant the weeds among them. This is what John the Baptist said. Look what John the Baptist said. This was John the Baptist predicting what Jesus was doing. His winnowing fork... His separating fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. You see the idea of judgment being separation. Matthew 13, 30. Look what Jesus says. This is the parable of the wheat and the weeds, or the wheat and the tares. Here what he says. Let both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time, I will tell the reapers, the four horsemen. Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. The lamb patiently is waiting as his harvest is growing. Then he allows the four horsemen to patrol the earth and do their job. These four horsemen are assigned to the redeemed. At least they should be that our Jesus is advancing his kingdom and that final judgment is coming. These are just the beginnings, the birth pains. You know what else these four horsemen are? It's a description of this unexplainable, remarkable miracle of the kingdom of heaven existing right alongside with earthly ones. It's creating an equally remarkable miracle as people who have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches somehow are able to turn their hopes away from these governments of earth and put them in the kingdom of heaven. This is a bird's eye view of history. A revelation from Jesus calling us to let go of this world and embrace the kingdom of heaven. Matter of fact, you know, a lot of times we think of the kingdom of heaven as just being, you know, if the kingdom of heaven is coming, Jesus wants peace. Ultimately, yes, but not yet. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 10. Do you not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? I've not come to bring peace, but a sword, the four horsemen. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Boy, that's so much there. Can you see how foolish obsession with the governments of this world becomes for a follower of Jesus. Placing our hope in any man, on a white horse, making promises of peace and prosperity is a fool's errand. Oh, you might have temporary peace, temporary victory, but it will end the same way as all others do. Our hope should not be in the kingdoms of this world, no matter how appealing their white horse or promises may appear. Jesus says, placing hope in this world may provide moments of false peace, but it all ends with the pale horse and death. Those who seek their life will lose it. When we see the impact of these four horses in the headlines, and we see them this morning, we'll see them tomorrow. Next year, there'll be new ones. You know what they deserve us to do? They remind us, Oh, wow, look at that. Jesus is the only one worthy of our hope. Jesus is the only one. I thought it was this political party or this type of economic system or this government or this war. No, only the lamb who is worthy to open the scroll. He is using these four horsemen of human history to call and separate out his chosen, those who can hear his voice to salvation. Yes, there may be pain. Yes, there might be hardship. And yes, there might be suffering in the process as he separates the weeds from his harvest. But our Jesus is in control. None of these four horsemen surprise him. Do you think he was surprised when Putin invaded Ukraine? Do you think it's possible that somehow that might be part of God's plan? The Lamb, worthy to open the scroll, can do that. In fact, He has been, He is, and will continue already, right now, and not yet. In these crazy times we live in, those who have an ear, to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, have the ability to cast off those white horse promises and look to the Lamb as He is perfectly, in His own timing, executing His plan for our redemption. He said to His disciples, when you see this happen, don't be alarmed. This is part of the process of separating out the wheat from the weeds, and it must take place. This is not the end, but it is the beginning of it. Jesus, we know that you've called us to be good citizens, to be involved, but at the same time, we recognize our hope can never be in men, women, or governments, economics. Lord, we know that the spirit of conquest that has been running this earth for the last 6,000 years is part of your plan to separate the wheat from the weeds. Lord, help us to have wisdom and discernment when we see the headlines and they sometimes they're troubling, sometimes they're discouraging, sometimes they're scary. Give us wisdom and discernment to see, oh, wait a minute, this is the Lamb who opened the scroll, advancing his kingdom, carrying out his plan. Lord, we don't know exactly everything that's going to happen in the future, except for this. You will complete your plan of redemption in your chosen. So, in that respect, while they seem like mean horses, We're thankful that you are in charge of them and no one else. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. I'll see you next week for Dr. Sutton, and then we'll second half of chapter six the week after.